chapter 6. Um, it's a nice long chapter, and what an amazing chapter, really. So many truths in there. Um, a misused chapter as well, um, by, by many types as well. But um, we're, we're going to go through it verse by verse, as we have done. Uh, so starting in verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Galilee is basically a huge freshwater lake in the northeast of Galilee. It's about eight miles wide and 30 miles long for those of you that find these things interesting that's pretty big isn't it for a lake okay that's what it's called a sea it's huge okay and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased and Jesus went up into a mountain and there he sat with his disciples and the Passover a feast of the Jews was nigh right so if you remember back in chapter two after the water into wine Jesus went to Jerusalem for the Passover and got the whip out yeah you remember that? Whipped those, uh, those people out of the temple. Now, this is two years later. And, and when you compare with the other Gospels now, by this point, there's been all sorts of demoniacs healed. You've, you've got Simon Peter's mother-in-law, uh, lepers, various women, um, the blind men, the paralytic, centurion servant, uh, miracles like the withered hand you've got as well, um, Sermon on the Mount we've had. The, the many parables are sending out and return of the 12. You've got the death of John the Baptist. So all this has happened in, in that time. Okay, And the Gospel of John really jumps forward at this point. But you could see why there's a great multitude at this point with that in mind. Yeah, so There's a great multitude at this point. And verse 5 says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So... Where are we going to buy bread for all this, these people? And to prove is to examine him, to, to test him, basically, to see what he says. And Jesus asks us questions, doesn't he, regularly to test us, to prove us? And there, there are many questions, many decisions we have to make in life where Jesus is, is basically giving us an option there, isn't he? Are we going to make that right decision? Um, now, num uh, verse 7, Philip asks him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Now, based on a penny being a labourer's day's wage in Matthew 20, 200 penny worth is approximately around the sort of 16 grand worth in our money today. So, you know, you're saying even that isn't enough. Yeah, there's a lot of people there, aren't there? Okay, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Now, all four Gospels record this event. But this is the only gospel which tells us where the fish and loaves come from. Um, now, there's a couple of options here. Either Andrew has just robbed this kid for his lunchbox, there's some sort of mugging. Bear in mind, he's a fisherman. They're pretty rough guys here. Uh, or more likely, this boy has got out his lunchbox. I think he's innocently offering it to help, isn't he? Okay, because I don't think they've just been, you know, right, get this kid, he's got something on him. I think he's got it out and he's offering to help. Now, you could, you could contrast, couldn't you, Philip's cynicism with the lad, Philip saying it's impossible, the boy is offering his lunchbox to feed thousands, isn't he? He's just going, look, I've got two small fishes and five loaves, and I don't know, I mean, for, to even offer that when there's that many people hungry... I don't know, what's he got in his mind? I'd say maybe, maybe he's thinking, well, it's Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, let's see what happens. Verse 10, and Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now, uh, the Matthew account says in Matthew 14, 21, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. So, basically, there's 5,000 men, 
And then there's also women and children. Now, I'm not saying they all had families, but I'd imagine there's a lot of people there. There's a lot more than the 5,000. The men sat down, we've just seen from verse 10, and gathered food for their families, didn't they? Um, and I think there's a few lessons we can get from that. So the men sat down, and of course, when you put together the Gospels, you see information which makes things clearer to us. The men have sat down to gather the food, haven't they? And a few lessons. Number one is it's Jesus that gives us what we need to provide for our family, isn't it? Jesus gives us what we as men need to provide for our family. It all comes from him. The fact that we're able to provide for our families at all is thanks to God, isn't it? Isn't it? Thanks to God. Praise God that we're able to do that. Now, I've turned to Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So basically, don't get cocky, men. So, because we can, can't we? We can think what a great job we're doing for those of you that are providing for a family. You know, my wife wants nothing or, you know, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe you think, oh, I don't know if I can, if I can provide. This is hard. My wife does want a lot of things, my family. But it all comes from God, doesn't it? all comes from God. We want to not get too puffed up when we think we are doing it or not get too down hard when you think you're not because give God the glory. It's God that will provide for you. It's God that provides for you to provide for your families. Yeah. Um, now, even though Jesus gives us what we need, number two, another lesson you get from that is it's still our men, it's still our job to provide for our families, isn't it? It's the men that are sitting there in rows. Okay, it's the men, it's not the families. I doubt that there were many liberal type men that sent their wives out to collect the food. I don't think there were any women there amongst the 5,000 where the men had just said, well, don't worry, love, I'll look after the kids. You know, you know, I'm just as good at that. In fact, you're a bit more of a provider, you go out and do it. There's not, is there? The men are the ones who, who are going out and collecting it. I don't think there were probably many men there who left their kids with another family so they could maybe both go and get a little more bread, a little more fish. Yeah, and again, we see that today, don't we? Many who are, well, we need a bit more money, so we'll both go out to work. Well, I don't think that happened there. Or any men that maybe put their feet up whilst the rest of them provided for him and his family. Because that's our modern benefit system, isn't it? And again, I don't think there was that. The men went out. Obviously, Jesus provided. They then provided for their family. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It's our responsibility, men, isn't it? Our responsibility, men, to provide for our wives, provide for our families, okay? Yes, it comes from Jesus Christ, but it's still our job. Now, number three, it's also our job to provide the spiritual bread, isn't it? We provide the spiritual bread for our family, men. Okay, Jesus says in verse 48, I am that bread of life. You could say that the, the bread being freely given out to a thousand here is a picture of Jesus giving himself to all, would you not say? There's always enough, isn't there? There's always enough. And Jesus himself being the word of God as well, yeah? So obviously it's the, men's, the men here have that responsibility of making sure their families are fed, but we have the responsibility, husbands and fathers here, to make sure our families are saved too, don't we? It's our, ultimately it's our responsibility, but that they receive the word of God too, yeah? That they receive the word of God that's freely given, that's there, we all have access to it, we all have the word of God, we are both physical and spiritual heads of our households. And that means making sure that we take the time to, to teach our families the Bible, yeah? Okay, yeah. we all, every single one of us men here with families, with kids, it's our job to teach our kids. Yes, our wives should also be, be, be raising the children in the law, but it's ultimately our job, isn't it? We should all make sure we take time out of our week. If we can't, then either we're working too much 
or there's a problem, we're putting our, our time into something else. We need to make sure that we take our time to teach our kids and teach them the Word of God. Yeah? It's our responsibility to provide for our family. So that's a few things I see from that. Now, verse 11, uh, back to John 6. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. There's as much as they want. There's always enough, isn't there? There's always enough. There. It's not Jesus didn't only die for some, did he? There's enough of Jesus to go around for everyone. There's enough food, there's enough bread, there's enough of the word of God to go around for everyone as well. And here with this miracle, there's enough food to go around for everyone. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Now, you could say 12 baskets for 12 disciples. There's always enough, isn't there? When you minister to others, God will provide to you. And I'm not saying that's definitely what that's saying. Now, I know that obviously there's a seven baskets uh, in the other miracle, but still 12 baskets, 12 disciples. They're the ones distributing, but then there's 12 baskets left over as well. Um, Okay, verse 14, And those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. Now, obviously, this is referring to the prophet that we saw, I think we looked at last week from Deuteronomy 18, 15, which says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Okay, so that's obviously the prophesied prophet that they're talking about here. Now, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. You can imagine the excitement there, couldn't you? After what he's just done and, and realising who he is. And you can imagine the excitement. Now he goes here. And there's many times that Jesus Christ does go alone, doesn't he? He goes off alone to pray. goes off to be, to be with, um, by himself. Because it's got to be tough, can't it? Just in front of all these people. All these people throwing you the whole time. And we all need that time. We all need that time alone to pray, don't we? Alone with God. Um, verse 16, and when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So they're in some trouble here, yeah? So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, this is about four miles. So based on what I just told you earlier, they're literally right in the middle of the sea. So they're right slap bang in the middle of this huge freshwater lake. They see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. That's another amazing miracle, isn't it? Amazing miracle. He's walking on the sea. Verse 20, but he saith unto them, it is I, be not afraid. Now this is where Matthew's account then shows Peter coming out to meet him on the water, if you remember. Um, it's not, not recorded in, in John's account here. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. So basically, they were in trouble. They're in the middle of this huge lake. Matthew 14, 24 says, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And you can imagine them thinking, bear in mind, these are fishermen here as well. So, so for them to be in real trouble here, there was a big problem. This is probably quite a big, huge tempest. It, so they're probably thinking, he's in the mountain. We're done for. Because remember, he, they left him there, didn't they? They went off themselves. But Jesus always comes through for us, doesn't he? He does always come through for us in the end. But they still had to go through the hard time of struggle first. Uh, Mark 6.48 says that they were toiling in rowing. That's labouring with pain. Okay, so they were having a real hard time. But Because we as Christians, we can sometimes be shocked, can't we? Feel abandoned when we're in a hard time in the first place. I think many have probably experienced that when they're thinking, why God, why am I going through this? You know, why has thou forsaken me type attitude, yeah? 
But Jesus never said that life would be easy, did he? Okay, we've never been told that life would be easy. Whatever these health and prosperity gospel types preach, it's a load of nonsense. Okay, the Bible doesn't say that. John 16, 33 says, These things have I, I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So look, we're going to have tribulation, but he will help you through it. And, and that's the key, is when you're in the tribulation, don't start questioning why, why, why. Turn to Jesus to help you through it. Because he will come through, even if it means walking on water four miles across the ocean. He'll, he'll do what he has to. But sometimes we have to, we do, we do, we do struggle for a while, don't we? Okay. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Notice that that's suggesting, suggesting that there can be tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword, isn't there? Okay, otherwise why even, why even list these things? We do go through hard times as Christians. We will go through hard times as Christians. That doesn't mean that God's given up on you. It doesn't mean you're necessarily getting chastised. It doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean that, why is he not answering? It's just life, isn't it? We go through it, but God will, and Jesus Christ will help us out of it. Um, We've got to look for Jesus in those times, don't we? Verse 22, the day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one, uh, save that one wherein two his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? So obviously they're confused as to how he got there. Yeah, I think that's, those verses are pretty self-explanatory. And then they're just like, well, how, how did you get here? Because they saw that he hadn't gone with the disciples. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Oh, they've basically come for a free feed. Yeah? These people have come for a free feed. They come for a meal. Now, it sounds crazy that there were people who followed Jesus not because they believed, but for other reasons. It's, it does sound a bit crazy, doesn't it? But there are people like that, aren't there? Yeah, there, are plenty, there are plenty in churches like that that are in churches not because they're following Jesus, not because they really want to hear the word of God, not because they're saved, but maybe it's for a free feed. A lot of churches, you know, they like putting on the food, don't they? A lot of, you know, a lot of food, tea, cakes, biscuits, stuff afterwards for the, sh for the social part of it. A lot of people go to church for a social club, don't they? In fact, the majority of churches around this country, they're not really following Jesus, are they? Because most of them aren't saved. Yeah. So they're, but they're always turning up at church. What for? For social, maybe to feel good about themselves, keep up appearances. Yeah, tell everyone they're going to church. And I hope that we don't have that in this church, but there could be, couldn't there? There might be in the future. People that are there just, just to say they go to church, just, well, I don't want people to think that I wouldn't want to be here. Maybe they feel pressured, pressured by family, pressured by friends, pressured by whoever it is inviting them to the church. Um, and on that, I, I remember I was at a church, and again, it ended up being a false prophet. Do you remember uh, anyone who was there? Do you remember Brenda? Remember Brenda? Yeah. Okay, Brenda. They had this lady there who... Uh, 
I'd be supp- I mean, for me, I think that she was probably already gone, conscience seared, it was time. Uh, that, that had gone a while back. But she used to come there into the church, they'd get her in, and then they'd pray for her every single week if she could just get saved. And she used to sit there and knit during the so she used to read. A ma- she had a magazine, she'd just read a magazine during the service. And then she got a free feed afterwards, and then they would leave her looking after their kids while she went off. But she was just a social, she'd be eating all the food. And it just, wow. And she, there was no, you know, she wasn't even pretending she was safe. She was just there, well, they bring me here. You know, nice, nice place to come. Try to give her the gospel, would not hear it, cut you off, not, was not listening at all. Crazy. And there are people like that all over the world, aren't there? All over the world, just come to church. And um, what, well, what a shame, isn't it? So it says in verse 27, um, sorry, on that. So obviously you've got the free feet. Such a, obviously as well you have those that are evil. Okay, and that's the truth. With a real church, you will have, especially, you will have those that are evil that are there for no other reason but for evil reasons. Um, but we, we, we'll talk about that later in the chapter. Um, verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Oh, Jesus is saying, forget the fish dinner, he can give you everlasting life. Yeah? Now, I believe that the hymn, Hath God the Father Sealed, is referring to those that are given the spiritual meat. So, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. He's saying, once you're given this meat, endures forever, you're sealed. That's how I see that. Like, for example, if you turn to Ephesians 1, John 3.33, John the Baptist said, He that hath received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. Now, again, it could be talking about Jesus Christ being sealed, but we see this language about, about people that are getting saved here. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Right, and what a great truth that is, isn't it? And again, another great eternal security verse to show people that when you're saved, you are sealed. You are sealed with that spirit. Signed, sealed, and waiting to be delivered, yeah? And I'm not going to go into a Stevie Wonder song here or anything else. Okay, so, <laughs> verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And they're saying, basically, how do we work our way to heaven, aren't they? How do we work our way to heaven? Jesus answered, said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on, on him whom he have sent. Notice, this is the work of God. Yeah, the work is done by God, isn't it? The work's not done by us. This is the work of God. All you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet how many still reject this? I mean, we're just going to see it time and time again throughout this gospel, yet they still reject it. How can I work my way to heaven? That's basically what they're saying. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Okay, verse 30. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What does thou work? Forget the prophets, forget the healings, the miracles of the fish and loaves. We want a sign. We need another sign. We need a sign. They say, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now forget feeding thousands with a couple of fish and five loaves. We want to see the manna, the bread from heaven. Yeah, our Father's got to see that. That's what we need to see. Do you think if it had rained down that second with manna from heaven, do you think they would have got saved? No way, no way would they? But notice how they're quoting scripture here to at Jesus, aren't they? They're quoting some scripture to him. How many times do we get the old work salvationist quoting scripture to us? 
oh, isn't it irritating when they try and quote, <laughs> I had a bit of that today, and they're trying to quote scripture, they're getting it all wrong, you know, and, and it's out of context. And, and again, they're just, they're trying to quote scripture to Jesus Christ, and we get that, don't we? You get people who, oh, well, they're quite, oh, well, I, I know a scripture, I know a verse, which I've got completely out of context, I must be right. I remember a, a Muslim once telling me that, that the proof that the Quran is a word of God because some Arab somewhere has memorized it. Have you heard that as well? Yeah, so, so it must be the word of God because some Arab managed to memorize it. I mean, how could he have done that? And I nearly got pulled into this sort of, well, I, you know, I know people that have, and I just thought, wait a second, what a load of old. <laughs> like, you know, because on that basis, Shakespeare was inspired, wasn't he? Because a lot of people have memorized a lot of Shakespeare over the years. In fact, so was that pervert Michael Jackson. A lot of people seem to know the lyrics of it and, and every other reprobate singer and everything else, yeah? Because the mind is amazing, isn't it? The mind is amazing. Like, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, aren't we? And our minds are amazing. And the most wicked reprobates in the world can memorise scripture. Yeah. Remember that. Just because someone can memorise scripture, just because someone knows verses from the Bible, it doesn't mean that they're a saved Christian, does it? Okay, and, and because there are, there are infiltrators and false prophets out there that will work hard on memorising scripture, facts, figures, everything else they can to try and prove themselves. And, and look, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Okay, and like, and like we know, people can memorise all sorts of things. That's not, that's not the sign, is it? That's not, not what we see. But anyway, so they're trying to quote scripture to Jesus Christ here. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So obviously referring to himself. Now, notice how he gives life unto the world which I say because this chapter 6 of John is, is some of the Calvinist's favourite chapter. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard them try and talk about this and go to chapter 6 of John to try and prove their, their damnable heresies, because a lot of those are, and let alone a lot of their heresies of Calvinism. Um, so a lot of them will go there. And he says here, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Okay, Not just a select few people that God chose you know, from the beginning of time. Verse 34, then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. So they want life, but does that mean they will believe on him? Okay, okay. he said, you know, that my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. They want that, but that doesn't mean that they're going to get saved. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now this is the first of the I am statements from John's Gospel. If anyone's aware of those, you've got these in John's Gospel. Um, this is the first one, and, and turn to Exodus 3. Now what, what's powerful about these statements is that I am is a name that God gave for himself to Moses back in, back in Exodus 3. He's been talking to Moses out of the burning bush at this point told him to go to Pharaoh to deliver the children of Israel. And in verse 13, uh, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. So when Jesus is saying, I am, he's also saying, I am God. Yet again, in this Gospel of John, that we're just seeing chapter after chapter, aren't we? John 6.35 is also another eternal security statement, isn't it? He's saying here, I am 
the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And again, I'm not just going to preach eternal security week after week, but, um, but again, another eternal security statement. Shall never hunger, shall never thirst. That's a one-time deal, isn't it? Otherwise, if you have to keep eating, you have to keep drinking, you have to keep, you know, getting saved, well, again, you're hungering and you're thirsting then. So it's not unless you're really bad, Unless you, know, unless you don't ask for forgiveness each time you sin. There's no ifs and buts there, are there? No, shall never hunger. So verse 36, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Okay, I believe here, and uh, different people have explained this in different ways. Um, I believe that he's speaking about his 12 disciples here, not, salv not salvation. Some people believe that this goes hand in hand towards verse 40. I, don't, I think he's talking about, about the disciples. If you turn to John chapter 17, it says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John 17 and verse 12 says, while I was with, with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Okay, there he's clearly talking about his disciples. Now, verse 38, just turn back there, because we're going to see that again. Uh, keep a finger there, because we're going to go to John 18 in a second. Verse 38 of John 6 says, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which was sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Now, again, go, go over to John 18, because we see this terminology again in Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested. And John 18, verse 8 to 9 says, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am here. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. This is John 18, verse 8. Verse 9 says, That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, Of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. So again, referring to his disciples and not losing any of his disciples. Now, I believe then it's contrasted by John 6, 40. So back to John 6, which is then talking about salvation. So he said about all those which the Father giveth me shall come to me, and he that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. He said, and this is the Father's word which has sent me, that of all, of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Then he says, and this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is salvation. Now, some people would say that it's just of who God's given him are those that have been saved, and I don't see a problem with that as well, but I do believe he's talking about disciples. He, because here it's saying it's God's will that everyone, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up the last day. Um, that, that's, that's, that's the will. That's the will of God, isn't it? Now, Verse 41, and you'll see then, because the, uh, the Calvinists sorry, try and grab these verses, don't they? Try and grab these verses and try and say, look, you know, you've, you've got to, they go to 30, 37, 39 there, and say, oh, look, of all that she have given me, you know, you have to be given. But we'll see something slightly different in a second, because he says, the Jews had murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered, said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And they like to go here, don't they? Say, look, you have to be drawn. Now, they'll say, look, only those chosen by God can be saved. 
Now, this is a little bit different, I believe, to verse 37 and verse 39. 37 to 39, which said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And he says here in verse 39, all the, uh, Of all that ye have given me. Now, here he's saying, Except the Father which has sent me, draw him. Being drawn is different to being given, isn't it? Wouldn't you say? Being drawn is different to being given. Verse 44 here, he says, No man can come unto me. But turn to John 12, 32. <coughs> John chapter 12 and verse 32 says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now, obviously, God sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross and to be lifted up from the earth on that cross. And Jesus Christ is saying that he will draw all men unto him. Now, everyone is drawn. Whether or not they then choose to believe and put faith in Jesus Christ is a different thing, isn't it? Okay, but we all have a... I believe that everyone in the world, he says, here, I will draw all men. I believe that everyone is drawn at some point, at least has some question, but many will just bury it straight away because of religion, because of whatever they want to believe, because of their sin. That's what I believe. Um, okay, he says in verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learnt of the Father cometh unto me. Um, I, that, that I think is from Isaiah 54, 13. Uh, turn there if you like, Isaiah chapter 54. So he said, it's written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. And here he says in, in Isaiah 54, 13, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Now, I think he's talking about the believers here from verse 44. Okay, he's talking about the believers from verse 44. How are they taught? Well, John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So, basically, in verse 45, he's saying that everyone that's a, that's a believer has come to him, yeah? Everyone that's a believer has come to Jesus Christ to be a believer, haven't they? Okay, that's how I, I see that. Uh, verse 46 not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Um, obviously, John 1.18 said, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Um, verse 47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. What a great eternal security verse. What a nice easy one to memorise as well. Hey, so it's a nice one to just, just to be able to pull out. You know, if you're going through a gospel presentation, you know, what a verse. I mean, what a verse in a nutshell. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Present tense, you believe, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life. That's forever, that's everlasting. Verse 48, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is a bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. It's funny, isn't it, that, that Calvinists like to go to this chapter, yet in verse 51, Jesus is clear that it's for any man, and he gives his flesh for the life of the whole world. If any man eat of this bread, not if, oh, well, if, if the select ones do, if the special chosen ones do, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So it's just, you know, it's another example, isn't it, of just people that handpick a verse, take a couple of verses, make it say what they want to say, but, but why not read the whole chapter? 
because you can't come away with Calvinism when you read the whole chapter, can you? Um, Hebrews 10.10 says, By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Okay? It's for all, isn't it? Um, All does mean all. You know, I know the Calvinists don't like to believe that, but all does mean all. Um, And and considering how many whosoever wills, whosoever, it's it's throughout the Bible, isn't it? Yeah, and what a wicked doctrine, what a wicked doctrine. And what, sadly, what a trendy doctrine it is now, isn't it? So trendy to believe in Calvinism, because there's so many scholars who believe in Calvinism. So it's so, you know, well, I believe in Calvinism because, you know, I study, and it's a load of nonsense. Most of them don't even read their Bibles, do they? They're just listening to some Calvinistic, or a lot of the time reprobate, probably, preaching this rubbish to him and yeah and, and obviously when you go really into Calvinism when you go into you know some people claim to be Calvinists they just believe oh probably someone was elect from before the world but when you really start looking into the doctrines they're wicked aren't they they are wicked um, verse 52 the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat so they just don't get it do they like when you preach the gospel to someone and they just don't get it and you get that sometimes don't you um, when you're just preaching to someone and they just you're showing them verse after verse and you're explaining it and you're giving them analogies and then it's like, uh, be good. You know, you're like, no, 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 listen. <laughs> okay, so see, look, just believe. Yeah, so what do you have to do? Uh, and they look at you like trying to uh, get the right answer and it's like, no, no, I want you to answer. What do you think? You go, uh, be a good person? No. <laughs> anyway, so they just don't get it here. Now, verse 53, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. And which is a picture, isn't it, of partaking in Jesus' flesh and blood through faith, yeah? That's what that is. Now, 1 John 4.15 says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Because he said in verse 56, Dwelleth in me, and I in him. So we dwell in God, and, and, and God dwells in us. Verse 57, As a living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? So they don't understand what he's saying, do they? They don't understand it, or they don't, don't believe it. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What? And if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? He's saying, Will you still be offended if you see me ascend up, uh, ascend up into heaven? Verse 63, it is a spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So the flesh, your genealogy, your good works, they don't give you life, do they? They don't give you life. It's a word of God that saves, isn't it? It's a word of God that saves. Look, he's saying as well, you know, because the word of God, it might offend you, yeah? The word of God does offend people, doesn't it? And you know what? The word of God will offend people in this room as well regularly. The preaching will offend, not just me, my, my, the way I'm trying to expand it or explain it. Really, the word of God does offend people. But they are spirit and they are life. It doesn't matter, does it? You know, 
He said, does this offend you? What, and if you see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Saying, it doesn't really matter, does it? There's spirit and life. Yeah, we're not, whether, you know, whether it offends or not, it's the word of God, yeah? Um, verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So the flesh, like I said, your genealogy, your good works, they don't, they don't do any of that, okay? Now, where he said that there, he said, he said um, the flesh profiteth nothing. And here these guys, for them, they're still thinking it's to do with them. They're still thinking it's because they're Jews. They're still thinking it's their genealogy. They're still thinking that, that somehow, well, something they've got to do. They've got to do some work of God. Now he says, verse 64, but there are some of you that believe not. That's who he's talking to. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Now remember that from verse 61, he's talking to his many disciples, isn't he? Okay, um, when he, when he knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, did this offend you? So there are disciples, plural, called disciples that believe not, right? Yeah? Okay, he's just said that. He knew from the beginning who they were. That he said, there are some of you that believe not. 65, and he said, therefore said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. They've been drawn to him, yes, but they don't believe and aren't saved. Okay? They don't believe, they're not saved. From that time, verse 66, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Right, so Jesus made it clear that he knows that many of them don't believe. And there are many people the world over who claim to be disciples and don't really believe, aren't there? Okay, like we said, there are people that go to church, but there are people that claim to be disciples and don't believe. They've rejected the gospel, but they're still hanging around churches, reading the Bible even. Yeah, that, that happens, doesn't it? Okay, they've rejected the gospel. These guys have rejected it, but they're still hanging around Jesus, aren't they? Still for whatever reasons. Why? Well, like we said, there are some that want the religion, but don't want a saviour. Okay, that, that's, you know, that's, that, that's sadly a, a, a truth of life. There are people that like religion. In fact, there are people all over the world that want religion, but they don't want a saviour. How sad is that? They want their religion more than they want a saviour, don't they? Because you can preach to God, you can preach to someone who knows, who believes the Bible's the word of God, and you preach the gospel to them and you show them, but they want their religion. Well, my religion, well, no, I'll be all right. Well, no, I believe this because my religion said this. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the word of God says. But once it's made clear to them, if they still don't believe, they would hopefully just go elsewhere, do what these guys did here, wouldn't they? From, these ch from churches, from a good church, from a church which is preaching the gospel, you would hope, if you really don't believe, if it's been preached to you, why are you still turning up at a church which preaches the gospel? You, you would hope they didn't just still turn up where the hard sayings are being preached. Uh, verse 67, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You're not going to go off to some false religion, the, the vast majority of people here, are you? You're not going to go, oh, well, you know, I know he's got the word, but I'm just I'm going somewhere else. Yeah, it's a bit more fun down there. Imagine trying to follow some joke like the Quran now. Can you imagine that? <laughs> imagine, like, just trying your best, going, oh, well, I'm just going to try. Like, what? Have you tried it? Anyone tried reading it? Anyone read any? Oh, wow. It's pretty bad, isn't it? It's just like such a bad, bad version of the Bible. But imagine doing that. Imagine just going, well, like, 
oh, I might as well just go and get a try a bit of bit of Islam for a bit now. <laughs> try a bit of Catholicism or something else. You couldn't do it, could you? Because um, to whom shall we go? Thou has the words of eternal life. Imagine now trying to use a false Bible perversion. Can you imagine getting out the NIV, having had the Word of God, the King James Bible, the preserved Word of God, and just getting out? Imagine getting out the message. You know what the message is? <laughs> you ever like sometimes? I'm just like when I preach something, I might go on uh, online and just see like what the false versions are trying to say or something like that. About that, like, it's amazing, amazing. Like when you see all the different, because they have some of these Bible apps, so they've got all the different versions. And it's, it, I mean, it's quite kind of funny, but it's not. Yeah, but like, imagine trying to read that rubbish. When you're saved, you've got the Spirit of God in you, and you've got, you can't, can you? To whom shall we go? That was the words of eternal life. You couldn't, could you? You couldn't read anything else. You couldn't read, what, what, what's the, what, what is the, uh, the, the Buddhist book? Do they, they have some sort of book, don't they? Anyone know? The what? Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita, okay. Imagine trying to read that rubbish. Just wind you up, wouldn't it? Just, you just get that, you just feel like, oh. Because like, it is like when you start reading this sort of stuff, where people, even just where people are trying to be worldly theological or worldly, they're just trying to sound a bit, you know, a bit kind of like, like they, you know, they're a bit spiritual. They just sound like fools, don't they? Yeah. They really do. And when you hear people that try and sound a bit, you know, philosophical, it's just all foolishness compared with the Word of God, isn't it? Um, verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, we, uh, sorry, um, verse 69, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. So the true believers aren't just legging it, are they? Okay, they're not just legging it. And look, believers will leave churches. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're unsaved if you leave a church. But if you're literally just leaving, you're going nowhere, you don't want, you stop reading your Bible and everything else, that's, that's really sad, isn't it? If you're really saved, that is sad. And, and, you know, it's a shame if you've already been in church, you've started being a disciple and everything else. Um, that is sad, but it does happen. People backslide. Now, verse 70 says, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. And this, sadly, is the other reason that they still stick around. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, Oh, no, we're not going get to uh, get on infiltrators again, Look, it's such a theme, isn't it? It's a theme of the New Testament. It, it's, it's a truth of the Bible. And at false bad churches, you're not going to get much of this, are you? Because what's the point? What's the point? Oh, I'm going to put my best man in repent of your sins Baptist, you know? That'll deal with it because they're already done the work of the devil. And even so, are you really going to try and destroy that church which has got a couple of soul winners sadly stuck in it because they don't really want to make that move to somewhere else or wherever else. Are you really going to send people in there to destroy it if they're just stuck and they're just languishing there and they end up not soul winning and just kind of having to listen to junk preach every week? Probably not. Probably not. Is, it, is, is Satan really going to bother with those places? I don't think so. Maybe he might shove someone. I have noticed at the churches where a large group of us started going, you then start to see some, some, some evil, wicked people in them. And, and I don't know if that's already been or, you know, they've already got in there or they come in. But yeah, other than that, I don't think you're going to get it much at like the sort of 10 people in the congregation and one guy that just can't find a better church. But that's sadly the truth. And the, the reason it needs preaching a lot is because it's an important point. It's something that we have to be aware of, not so much because we have to be on a witch hunt. That's not why. But it's so that when eventually these, these people get exposed, that... that you don't end up splitting the church with it, okay? 
because it is because it is part and parcel it's going to happen it's happened at every good church okay and it continues to happen and it's preached about throughout the bible they don't believe but they're there for other reasons other reasons to infiltrate to cause division to steal and to kill and to destroy yeah that's why they come don't they judas was that thief wasn't he judas was a thief but there are many flavors okay there are many flavors of these types of people but jesus wasn't scared of him was he Jesus wasn't scared. He wasn't going, oh, well, one of you is a devil, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm really worried. Because there's nothing to be scared of. There's nothing to be, none of us need to be scared of these people. You do understand that, yeah? There's nothing to be scared of. Because it will keep happening here. We've already had it once, obviously. And like we said, that was a pretty lame wolf, okay? But, that, you know, we, that's what happens. We, and fortunately, praise God, that he's just given us a good idea so that we can come away and go, okay, did I realise that? Or afterwards, did I still question and think, oh, is he, is he really? Well, he was, yeah, it's obvious, isn't it? Okay, but I don't really care about that guy. That guy's a bit of a joke, okay? But it will keep happening here, but we don't have to be afraid, okay? So first thing, there's nothing to fear. Yeah, I, I'm not afraid of any, I don't care how much someone will eventually badmouth me, our pastor, anyone in here, how much they'll try and lie and whisper and cause division, how much they'll try and pretend that I've maybe said things I haven't, try and catch me in my words. If I'm not scared, no one else here should be scared, yeah? Okay, there's nothing to fear, is there? Okay, I don't care. Because at the end of the day, you know, God's got us, isn't he? We stick in the word of God. God's more powerful. He that is within us is more powerful than he that's in the world, yeah? Okay, we don't have to be afraid. We just have to limit the damage, we have to limit the damage when it comes. How do we limit the damage? Okay, if you hear, because we want to we, we make sure when someone is eventually exposed, when they expose themselves, when God exposes them, okay, that, that tear amongst the wheat, at the right time, at that time of harvest, yeah, when they're exposed, we need, you know, and they might be exposed to one of you in here. So when you hear false doctrine being taught by someone in this church, come see me. Just come see me straight. Oh, I don't know. I'm not. Just come see me. Okay. Just so in case you're unaware, this is a church. It's not some sort of prison with a gangland code of no grassing. Okay. We're not. You're not going to get shanked. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you're not. You're not going to get shanked if you come and see the leader and say, look, I've, I've, I've seen or I've heard something concerning. Okay? There is no, like, gangland code here. Just, just to remember that. If there's something serious, it's not always, oh, I think, something serious in the church, you need to come and see the leadership. It's a church. It's not a, we're not a gang. Okay? We're not a cult either. Okay? <laughs> but we're not a gang. Okay? We're not, we're not, you know, there's no gangland codes here. Okay, so please, not about anything, not just, oh, well, that person was a bit rude to me, Brother Ian. They didn't say this morning, they didn't say good morning this morning. Okay, I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying something that you find, so if you've got a problem, you've got, come and see me, okay? That's how we deal with things, yeah? Um, if you feel someone is bad-mouthing others in the church, come see me. Now, I'm not saying, look, someone says something that's a bit off, I'm not saying, right, that's, I'm telling, yeah? Like, ideally, you would say something to them first, wouldn't you? Ideally, you just say to them, look, come on, you know, we're a church. We want to we want to speak well of each other. You know, we want to we want to talk well. But come see me. If, if there's a problem, if there's someone clearly is bad mouthing others in the church, then then that could be someone causing division. At the least, it's going to cause division, whether they're a problem or not, isn't it? 
So it needs to be dealt with, okay? And you're not out of order if you come and tell me about that. Like I said, you haven't, oh no, that so-and-so's a grass, better watch what we say around them. Yeah, too right. Watch what you say around Christians. Yeah, because you shouldn't be behaving like that. We're in a church. We don't want division because our church, especially if you're just a run-of-the-mill, saved Christian who doesn't want to cause division, then please don't cause it, okay? So obviously, we don't want to be bad-mouthing each other, don't want to be gossiping, don't want to be whispering. But if someone is bad-mouthing me or Pastor Thompson or our families, however subtly, come see me, yeah? You have someone who starts questioning our pastor, someone who starts bad-mouthing me or talking about me, come and see me, yeah? I want to know. Because it's important, isn't it? Because, again, that's one of the many tactics, isn't it, of someone who's causing division. And it can be subtle. It can be subtle. It'll be subtle little thing, just a little question, just a little something. Just tell them, cut it out. Cut it out, that's a church leader. Or cut it out, that's a church pastor. Or cut it out, that's their families. Because the families are often the target. Okay, someone is stealing things in the church. Come and see me. I'm not saying that's necessarily happened, although, you know... Maybe, yeah, I don't know, some, some stuff actually has gone, but I think sometimes that could just be people, people sometimes get carried away with the nothing sold in the church, everything's free, okay, yeah, nothing is sold in the church, yeah, things are free, but it doesn't mean just turn up at church and just help yourself to some of the nicer Bibles and things like that, that's not how it works, you know, like get yourself a Bible, if you're completely skinned, come and see me and say, have you got a Bible, brother Ian, because I can't afford a Bible, I'll go, yeah, for sure, here's a Bible, I'll buy you a better Bible that hasn't got small print, but, you know, things like that, you know, things like, if we have a load of sundries, of things, don't just start packing up your pockets and going off with them. You know, that's, that's thieving. It's covetousness. Yeah. You know, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, if you're stealing things from the church, then you're a problem. If someone sees that, then come and see me. Okay, because that's really worrying. That's a worrying sign, isn't it? Okay, because then you're like, whoa, okay, that's a bit of a problem. Now, some people might just not understand it, think, okay, everything's just for free. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to sell it you anything. I'm not going to tell you you've got to pay for anything. But you don't just turn up and just start, oh, I'll have that, I'll have that. Because it's all coming from people's tithes, isn't it? You know? Um, Okay, and this goes for other major sins too. Drunkenness, fornication, covetousness, railing, idolatry, extortion. Come see me, yeah? If you're concerned, if you think that someone in this church is on that list, come see me because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. They're not necessarily a big problem. I'm not saying they're necessarily some sort of reprobate infiltrator. If they're guilty of these sins, the Bible says no, not to, no, not, not to eat with them, doesn't it? Okay, so again, come see me. And if you're not coming and see me, then you're part of the problem, aren't you? Yeah, that's the truth. You're part of the problem. Now, with extortion, by the way, that includes guilt-tripping people out of money too. I heard this preach recently and it was like, yeah, that actually rung a bell. If you're guilt-tripping people out of money, if you're going up to someone in a church and saying, oh, things are just so hard, so tight right now, would you be able to lend me some money and you've got no intention of paying them back? That's extortion, isn't it? Especially when you're lying. Well, whether you're lying or not, because really you should provide for your own, shouldn't you? Okay, you shouldn't be coming to people in the church and trying to get them to finance you or your family or whatever it is or your whatever it is. So, so if you're doing that, again, that's extortion. Okay, I see that as extortion. You're guilt tripping people to giving you money in the church. That's extortion. Again, come and see me. Now, you might be thinking, sounds like you want us walking on eggshells, brother in, you know? You, you know, not trusting each other. No, just behave as a Christian. It's simple, isn't it? Behave as a Christian. Behave as a Christian should, and then there's nothing to worry about. If we all behave as we should, there's nothing to worry about. We don't have to come here, oh, I don't know, someone's going to serve. No, just behave normally. Just be normal. Just be, just, you know, and then the people will become manifest easier, won't they? Because if we're all a bit shady and we're all a bit dodgy and we're all gossiping and we're all, you know, up to this and that, then it, it's not so clear, is it? 
and, and you know, and, and I would, but kicking out half the church would be quite difficult, wouldn't it? Because we'd have half a church left. It wouldn't be nice. But we all have, if we have to do it, we'd do it. Now, I'm not saying that is going on here, but that stuff does creep up in a church, doesn't it? If everyone's thinking, well, I don't want to say anything, I don't want to say anything, and everyone's just, the, the behaviour starts slipping, then that's where we're going to get to, isn't it? Okay, so we don't want that. Now, look, I, I would, though, I would rather that, that many people went back and walked no more with us, like we just saw in John 6 there, than we were just full of problem people. And I'm not just saying infiltrator types who try and destroy churches. Again, look, sorry that, that it has to be preached on now and again, yeah? It does have to be preached on. But just to, just to let you know, just to remind you, anyone that's unaware, yeah, we are the only church in this country going out multiple times a week and preaching the gospel okay preaching the gospel not giving leaflets out we are the only church in this country doing that yeah preaching the correct gospel yeah there's a few pentecostal types telling people they've got to repent of their sins to be saved we are the only one let's I, I, again if anyone knows any other church that are out preach the gospel we and i'm not just talking about oh they might do a little bit of outreach and maybe some of the people at that church might actually try and preach the gospel because they want a soul win i'm talking about a church where there's multiple soul winning times where we're going out and we're trying to knock doors and preach the gospel okay so because of that the devil will and does send people into these churches like ours to try and try and destroy them from within okay now Look, like I said, we don't have to be afraid, yeah? If we do things God's way, yeah? If everyone here is living for God, everyone here is, like I said, coming and telling me when they see behaviour like that and not getting involved in the gossip and all the rest of it and the whispering and, the, you know, and all the other stuff and the sins of other people, then, then we're going to be fine. God will protect us. It's going to be fine. But if we at this church start just, well, I'm going to ignore that or don't worry about that or, you know, I'll just get a bit involved in that, then again then it is going to cause a problem, isn't it? Then the destruction will be more. Like I said, we want to limit the damage. Okay, so... And just on that as well, just remember, this is a church, yeah? This is a church. It's not like happy hour at some scumbag slum bar somewhere where everyone's welcome, okay? There are, there are rules. There are rules to be involved in our church, okay? Uh, yeah, and that does come from the Word of God. And like we said, people that, that are committing open sin who are saved certain sins the bible says to kick them out of the church okay and and that's part of it and, and we just need to be aware of that now lastly on that when it next happens and someone else is exposed kicked out because it will happen won't it anyone think that this isn't going to happen at this church ever again Anyone think that, that we're not going to have someone that's going to expose themselves? No, it's going to happen, isn't it? And again, I don't want people just walking around the church questioning, you know, making notes on each person at church. But when, when your red flags are raised, come and see me. Please do. Okay, now, when that happens, when that happens, the only correct response is to support the leadership, isn't it? Yeah. That is the only correct response. Now, I'm not saying just give me a buy, I can just walk up and kick people out willy-nilly and no one can even question it. But what I am saying is, when someone is exposed, and believe me, I'm not trigger-happy to do it, you, you have to support the leadership because that's the only correct position, okay, as a Christian, isn't it? Okay, so you have to support it. That means, that means it doesn't matter if it's your best friend. Even if it's your best friend. Even if you've been friends with this person for years, it doesn't matter. Whether you feel they were just misunderstood. Whether you feel that they were, oh, well, maybe they're just, uh, you know, a bit mentally ill. You know, yeah, that's probably it. You know, they, oh, they're just not, maybe it was just their pride or whatever else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think, support the leadership. Yeah, do you understand? 
Yeah, because that's the only that's the only position we can take. And when it does happen, that's that's how we'll stay strong as a church. When we just say they're gone, done. And you have to cut fellowship as well. When someone has to be kicked out of a church, it doesn't mean you carry on meeting them, meeting up with them, having little play dates or whatever it is, and you know, having each other around the house or meeting up now and again or having even the chats. And, and you know, and again, look, I understand. I'm not saying it right. You've all got to block that guy. But that 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 last reprobate, yeah. If if he calls you, just tell him to do one. Hang up, block him. Okay, because again, we're just told to have nothing to do with him. Yeah. Yeah, have nothing to do with them. They, they should be cast out. That's them done. Okay, let alone giving them a chance to keep ringing up and telling people that they're, you know, that, that this church is this and that. And we've obviously gone over that earlier. Um, because, look, if we support the leadership, then we limit the we limit the damage, don't we? Okay. And obviously, I, I'm not just going to go into something. If you're thinking, well, I don't know, brother Ian. You know, you've only been leading a church six months. Are you really wise enough to make the? What do you think I'm going to do? First thing I'm going to do is call up Pastor Thompson. That's our pastor. And if anyone doesn't respect a Pastor Thompson's decisions and then w- the decisions that we make together, because obviously I'm the man on the ground here, then then you might as well leave the church. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. There's no point being here, is there? Yeah. Well, why be in a church if you don't respect the leadership? But if you do respect the leadership, when something like this happens again, ev- because it will happen, I'm just preempting it. Yeah, when it happens, everyone, please just support the leadership. Yeah. Um, okay. There will always be Judases, won't there? It'll always be Judas's. But they should make us stronger, not weaker, shouldn't they? And they do. They make you stronger. If you do things right, they'll strengthen us, yeah? And we've got to make sure that that's what happens next time it happens. On that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the many examples um, throughout the Gospel of John. And, and uh, John chapter 6, what a great chapter. Um, thank you for, for just making salvation so clear to us. Thank you for, for being that bread of life for us. Um, thank you for for that that free gift of salvation that we, that we've taken here. And, and if there's anyone here that, that isn't sure, that isn't 100% sure that they're going to heaven, um, Lord, please please just just you know get them to to speak to someone afterwards and someone to just just show them from from your gospel how easy it is, how it's a free gift, how it was all done by you. We thank you for that. Um, we also pray that you help us to just be aware, to help us to be wise, um, help us to 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 not not just be constantly suspicious of everyone in our church but but to <coughs> behave in the right way when there are problems when there are warning signs when there are issues when there are you know sinful issues that come up which which you've told us are, are reasons to kick people out of a church just help us to be be loyal to your word on that um, and, and put aside you know our own personal preferences and friendships and things when it comes to serious issues like this but on that lord you know thank you for for, for having this church and thank you for a great group of people here thank you that we'll manage you know we're all able to meet here we're, we're able to come this week and help us to come next week as well um, help us to keep growing to keep learning help us to get out in a week and get people saved and um, in jesus name we pray all of this amen